help today. I suppose, I suppose we oughta. It's a beautiful day outside. Can we just have recess? Can we just can we just go play baseball or something? Can we yeah. kickball? Yes. Kickball. That kind of a day. That's alright. I ignore me too. seats promptly you will have detention <laughs> I'm not I want more hugs I want more more chat time jeez this guy I tell you what all right it's um so we have announcements so next week next week is the 29th so we're not if you come here you're not gonna be in the wrong spot we love you but go over to the park over at Civic Center Park that's where we're going to be so usual time same bat times sort of same bat channel but we're over at the park so bring your lawn chairs we've got food we're going to have a, a worship heavy service so that means you don't have to listen to me very long yay and, <laughs> right but yeah so we're going to be over at the park on, on the 29th for our fifth Sunday service so like I said uh, like bring your lawn chairs um, it's probably going to be hot or raining, so you might want an umbrella or a shade. We'll set up some pop-ups kind of thing if we can. Um, if you do bring a, a, a pop-up, uh, you can't put stakes into the ground. You have to have the sandbags or the water bags to, to anchor it down. But again, 1030, we'll be over at Civic Center Park. It's the one right over by City Hall. Um, and speaking of which, so the DMV over there has been open on Tuesdays and Thursdays. If you need to renew your license and you don't want to go to Grand Junction, just found that out this week. So, you know, that's... a uh, it's nice to be able to go here to the Fruto one. But again, next Sunday, 1030, over at the park, bring your chairs. That's where we will be. Uh, yeah, so we got Food Bank coming up on, uh, on June 10th and June 11th. Uh, we are getting some, some new freezers, which is going to be amazing. I don't know when those come. Um, but yeah, so Miss Rhonda is not feeling well this morning, so we have some, need to cover her with some prayers because... Yeah, she called me this morning, so she wasn't, wasn't feeling very well. The Tuesday evening studies are going to take their recess for the summer, so don't come here on Tuesday evening. Um, but the Wednesday evening study, I think, is still going for a few more weeks. Uh, we do still have some of the study guides for Secret Church, if anyone wants to catch up on that. And we do still have online access to that, if anyone wants to, to sit down and uh, watch that. Um, what else am I missing, Miss Barb? I know. Okay. Sorry. No. No. We're 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 so because um, 
So the city requires that we be uh, health code approved. So we actually have a food truck coming, and so we're paying for everyone to have a meal f through that food truck to make it all legal. And plus, that way, we're hoping that you know people walking by will come and join us for service, and it would be weird for them not knowing that it was a potluck to try and bring something. So that way, they can join us and join us for a meal, and not have to to feel pressured or have to feel obliged to do anything. Is the the idea that um, hopefully we're going to be out there in the public and, and proclaiming God and worshiping, and a bunch of people are like, hey, we want to we want to join in on that, and they can join us not only for service but then join us for a meal afterwards so you know well this is experimental it's 100 percent. never done it before so you know we'll see yeah either way it'll be a beautiful day and we'll have some great time miss barb yes sure it starts here okay 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 i gotta skip a couple okay all right <clears throat> So, she enlarged the font so I can read it. Obviously, she's been looking at how big the text is on my notes. Um, yeah, so... No, no, it, uh, this is, uh, Miss Barb's words are, are just amazing, but... If you were to walk into that other room right now, you would see a bunch of those post office boxes that are filled with all the foods that we got from the canned food drive. And you'll notice that there's not nearly as many as we unloaded from the truck because a bunch of people have been coming throughout the week and organizing and putting stuff away. And I am overwhelmed by you guys. You all, every one of you, participate. You jump in and do things and help out and thank you. Thank you for all that you do. I don't know about you guys, but I've been feeling a little beat up lately. It's been kind of a rough squeezing time. A lot of stress, a lot of things going on, a lot of busyness, a lot of stuff. And I don't know, it just, it just feels squeeze, right? I mean, the inflation and stuff that's going on around the world. And you guys are still here. And you still do the work that you do. You still pour your hearts out. You still serve. Thank you. That's rare. That's not common. Most of us have been in other churches. Most of us have been in other places. Look at how few of us there are in this building. It's not like we're overflowing. There's a bunch of people that found everything else better to do this morning. And that's, these folks are, you guys are absolutely amazing. So thank you. I, um, we need to find a way to renew ourselves, to renew our spirits, to refresh and recharge. Uh, so be thinking about that. Be thinking about how we can do that because we don't want to burn ourselves out. We don't want to get to a point of fatigue where we can't continue. We've got to endure. We've got to persevere. And like I said, I know that it's been, I know it's been tough. So be thinking about that. Be thinking about some ways that we can take some time and renew ourselves and renew our minds and renew our hearts because we still have work to do. So uh, on Wednesday, May 25th at 9 a.m., um, we've got, we need some help. Um, we're going to be preparing some emergency food boxes. So if anyone can come and help, again, that's Wednesday, May 25th. That's this Wednesday at 9 a.m. Um, it's going to be for the Stamp Out Hunger Food Drive. And again, it'll be a, a good time of fellowship. But if you can join, um, please do. Um, if, you can, if you can help out with that, um, that'd be, like I say, it'd be a good time. Just hang out and, and prepare those boxes to, to help out with our folks. 
Uh, we also still need plastic bags. If you have your plastic grocery bags, um, please continue to bring those in. When we do the produce outside especially, we use a, use a ton of boxes and, and bags, so please continue um, to bring those in as well as boxes uh, if you have. Um, and then, um, yeah. Yeah, I know. Uh, well, so um, ahead of, we've, we've got a, our, our quarterly meeting coming up on, uh, on June 5th, and I say all of you guys participate. All of you guys participate in all this stuff that goes on around here. If you have suggestions, if you have things that, you, ideas that you have, whether it's about anything, whether it's about how food bank could run more smoothly or about service or about any of it, we've got the little tear-off tabs on the bulletins um, or shoot me an email, shoot me a text, talk to Nathan, talk to Ron, talk to um, John who's, who's back teaching, talk to Doug, talk to any of us, throw those ideas out. This is your church. Um, you know, I, I stand up here every Sunday, but you guys are the body. We've been talking quite a bit about who are the body and, and making it a functioning body that has all the parts and pieces. And so please throw those suggestions out. Um, if you see something that you're like, man, why do you continue to do that that way every week? Say something. Because um, I can assure you that I have big, massive blinders. Um, and I just kind of charge ahead. So please throw those suggestions out. Let's say write them down, send them to me, text them to me, um, or put them down or talk to someone else. But, but please, and thank you also um, for doing that. Please continue to put those suggestions. And again, um, if, especially ahead of our, of our meeting on, on June 5th, if in the next couple of weeks, if you could throw those ideas out, um, that would be great. Um, we would certainly appreciate it. Um, yeah, let us, let us pray. We've got a lot to pray about this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for another beautiful day in Western Colorado. Thank you that we get to gather together in your name. Thank you for our building and for air conditioning and for your word. Father, we're going to dive into the book of John here. And we just ask that you be with us, that we could be refreshed and renewed and washed and made clean, that as we head off into the next week, that you would renew our strength, that we would be able to run and do the things that you ask us to do. So please open your heart and open your mind and open your spirit to us that, that we could have that for this next week. Amen. I'm not going to keep your phone. It's turned off. I don't know if mine is. It's in my bag. That's why I didn't have those things that she texted to me. So we are in John chapter 15, verses 18 through 27. And... This entire section um, is about persecution, and that's what we're going to talk about today. You'll see in your bulletins, we've got a bunch of statistics about persecution in the church. But this entire piece is about a promise of persecution. It's John chapter 15, verses 18 through 27. It says, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name. For they do not know the one who sent me. 
If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. And if I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in the law. They hated me without reason. So when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. We are still in these four chapters from the time that Judas leaves to go and betray Jesus in this the highly, high priestly prayer at the Garden of Gethsemane. These chapters are called the Upper Room Discourse. And, but if we like say, if we were to go back to the end of chapter 14, uh, John writes down, says, come, let us go. But John doesn't record after that if they actually got up and went or if these parts were still while they were still in the room uh, talking. We don't, we don't know that. But like, I like to imagine, maybe you do too, that they're walking along the road as they're heading up to the, the foot of the Mount of Olives where they're going to gather and pray. If you can imagine a, a beautiful spring evening as they're walking along and Jesus continues to pour into the disciples. He is preparing them for his departure. He's trying to get these last things poured into them so that they are ready. They are ready for him to go. So we receive this series of promises, promises of the new covenant, promises of the new church. And the promise is a realization of these Old Testament promises. God promised Abraham that his people would be the people of God and his offspring would be greater than the grains of sand. So when Jesus says believers are adopted as family, that is a fulfillment of that promise. And this promise has always been intended to spread to the entire world. A kingdom, a nation, a world of the people, the family of God. If we were to again flip back to Genesis, we see a promise and a command, a blessing and a command. Adam and Eve were commanded to be stewards of the earth. The earth is to be under their authority, and the blessing is they will be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That promise and blessing is repeated to Noah after the flood. Fill the earth, be fruitful, and multiply. Abraham says his faith, his belief, his love for God was credited to him as righteousness, as a right standing before God. So therefore, I will make unto you a nation, a people, and your descendants will outnumber the stars, outnumber the grains of sand. So as we sit here today, we who confess Jesus as Lord and Savior, we who love God with everything we have, are a part of a family, a body, a nation of God. If we were to go back to chapters 14 and, and look through, the promises have been very positive. They've been very encouraging. They've been promises of love, promises of family, promises of adoption, promises of relationship, promises of belonging and inheritance. If we were to go back to 14, verse 1 through 5, it says, Jesus says, I am leaving, but don't be troubled. When I go to the cross, it isn't a bad thing. I am blazing a trail. I am opening doors. I'm defeating death for you. I'm going ahead of you, preparing a way for you and a place for you. What an amazing message that Jesus gives us, that we have a place in his father's house. And again, we get this wedding imagery. Jesus says, you, the church, 
are my bride, and I go to my father's house to prepare a room for us. We will live together in my father's house as a family in a room that I have made. It's a relationship. It's not earned. There is no if clause. It's not if you are worthy, because none of us are worthy. It's not if you earn it. There's nothing to earn. Most of us understand this. We love our spouses for who they are. Jesus loves you as you are, where you are, how you are. Jesus says the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit will make a home with you. This is 14, 15 through 21. It says, if you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Those have been the promises so far. Promises of love and family and relationship and belonging and inheritance. So this next promise is a promise of opposition. And if there is a lifetime challenge that we all face, it is the natural friction in relationships, isn't it? With our family and our friends, our co-workers, our kids, we struggle. We struggle to communicate. We struggle to have our needs heard and met. And we struggle to hear and to meet the needs of the people around us. Countless books have been written about how to lead people, how to work with people, how to have healthy relationships, how to communicate. It's one of the greatest topics that each and every one of us deals with on a day-to-day basis. It is a lifelong pursuit of being able to effectively build relationships with people. My entire job is about relationships. That's all I do as I go out to my customers and I build relationships with them in the hopes that I can communicate with them and somewhere in there see something that they need and then somehow help them fill that need. That's what I do. It's not easy, though, is it? Every single thing that we do is a negotiation. It's a communication. It's a relationship. And it's not easy. And those folks are on your side. They're on your team. Next part is super important because we don't treat God this way a lot of times because God is on your team. God is on your side. We often picture God as as far away, and rightly so. He's on his throne. We often picture God as big and huge and powerful, and rightly so. He is the creator of the universe. He is the supreme being. And he says, yeah, I know, but call me dad. Call me father. You love me. You've claimed me. I claim you too. We're family now. I'm on your side. This is one of those tactics that that we do, especially when I'm I'm working on a project with a client. But one of the things that I, I try and always do is sit on the same side of the table with my customers. We're not in opposition. 
We're not on opposite sides. We're not in conflict. We're on the same side, working for the same goal. Don't we often picture God this way, as opposing us, as judging us, as thinking of somehow we've got to earn or be something that we're not to try and earn his approval or earn his love? That's not how it is at all. He is on your side already. He is on your side of the table already. He's much more soccer dad than he is prison warden. Much more. Matthew 28 says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I am with you. God is on your side, on your team. Isaiah 41, verse 9 through 10 says, I took you from the ends of the earth, from its farthest corners I called you. I said, you are my servant. I have chosen you. I have chosen you and not rejected you. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So when we go back to 14, 15 through 21, it says, If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. Be with you. I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, loved. And I too will love them and will show myself to them. It is easy and natural to take an opposing position. We assume there will be a battle, a conflict between us. We assume that God is not on our side, but that is not the case. That fear of sin, our own feelings of inadequacy, our awareness of our short feelings, and the greatness of God, they give us a wrong attitude. And it is good to have fear and respect for God, for he is, after all, the great I am the creator of the universe. But he says, call me father. Jesus says, call me brother. Call me friend. God is on your side. You can imagine every day as you get up and get dressed and get a cup of coffee, that God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are are there with you. And this is what chapter 14 says. It says, we will make a home with you. They are cheering you on. Your morning prayer is much more breakfast conversation with family. And they're clean roommates, by the way. I don't know if you've noticed. They don't leave their socks on the living room floor. There's no dishes on the coffee table, no drinking the last cup of coffee and not making more. They are great roommates. Family. Who, in your successes and failures, want you to put family first. Stop and think about what God asks of you. Love me, love others, keep my commands. Love me, love others, keep my commands. Over and over and over again. Compare that, though, to what the world tells you. Because the world bombards you with this message that no matter who you are, that you aren't good enough as you are, where you are. You need what we are selling. Then you will be good enough, smart enough, attractive enough. Jesus never says that. Never. He says, leave all that nonsense. 
John 14, 27 says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Nowhere does it say that you are inadequate. There's nowhere in here where there's an address where if you just mail three easy payments of $19,995, that you will get the videotape that will unlock the magic mystery. That is never in there. It is always, I love you where you are as you are. Love me back. Let's build a relationship. Please do as I ask. It's good stuff. I have good stuff for you. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Love me, love others, keep my commands. So, verse 18, it says, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. The world hated Jesus. People hated Jesus. And hate is a, it's a strong word. It's overused in our culture. We use it casually. We use it to talk about a color or a flavor of ice cream. But let us be clear. It may not be your favorite or you may not like a color or a candy or an ice cream, but you don't hate it. Feel extreme aversion or an extreme hostility toward, to detest. The world hated Jesus and hates his followers. In Luke 4, Jesus is preaching in his hometown. It's where he grew up. These are his people in Luke chapter 4. His family, his friends. It's not like he lived in a city of millions. It's not like these were a bunch of strangers. These were the people he grew up going to synagogue with. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him and he began to them by saying, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off a cliff. Now, I have preached some stinking sermons in this church. Y'all are good people. You have yet to haul me up to a cliff and throw me off. I imagine that you might want to occasionally. But imagine the hate you have to have in your heart to take another human being and kill them. The anger and hate it takes for a mob to kill a man. They knew him. He wasn't a stranger. He wasn't some guy that walked in and was trying to swindle them. They knew his parents. And they hated him that much. 
Luke 6 and John 8 and John 11 and Luke 19 and Luke 20 are all times recorded in the Bible where people either picked up stones or in some way attempted to seize and kill Jesus. And eventually, they will. Right in this story, Jesus is with the disciples. They're headed to the garden where he will be arrested. Let's think about this, how uniting Jesus is for the world. He still is very uniting for the world. The Sadducees and the Pharisees disagreed bitterly among themselves. They united to kill Jesus. The Romans and the Jews, not friends. The Jews saw the Romans as occupiers, intruders in the Holy Land. The Romans saw the Jews as backwoods rebels clinging bitterly to their ancient tradition. They united to kill Jesus. Pilate and Herod, not friends. Herod was worse than an evil Hollywood producer. His dad was Herod the Great. He was full of scandal and not really liked by Rome. Remember, he married his brother's wife and that mess with his niece. He is Jeffrey Epstein, Harvey Weinstein level gross. He is. But he and Pilate united around one thing, killing Jesus. Imagine this group of bedfellows, Sadducees and Pharisees, the high priest Caiaphas, his dad Ananias, Pilate and Herod, all united under one purpose, to kill Jesus. They couldn't agree on what to drink in the morning. They could agree on killing that guy. So after the resurrection, it doesn't get better. It doesn't get better for the apostles. This is Acts chapter 4, just four quick chapters in after the formation of the church. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put him in jail until the next day. Acts chapter 5. Then the high priest and his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go and stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. Look down to verse 40. Again, they were arrested and flogged for proclaiming Jesus. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Flogging is not pleasant. Jesus was flogged. They were flogged. And they rejoiced because of it. Acts chapter 8 was when Stephen was stoned to death. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Acts chapter 12, James, the brother of John, is beheaded. And Peter is imprisoned again. Peter will be crucified upside down in Rome by Emperor Nero in 64 AD after watching his wife die. Andrew was crucified on an X cross in the Greek city of Patras in 60 AD. James was killed by Herod in Jerusalem the same way Herod killed John the Baptist 
by beheading him. Thomas and Bartholomew probably killed in India. Matthew was killed in Ethiopia. The other James, James the son of Alphaeus, was stoned to death. Every one of the disciples except for John was killed for preaching Jesus. John, for his part, was imprisoned, exiled for life on the Isle of Patmos. The Jews persecuted the Christians because they believed they were heretics. John 16, 1-3 says, All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. These were not warriors. These were not battle-hardened soldiers. These were fishermen. They lost everything. They were unwelcome in their own homes, kicked out of their churches, kicked out of their own synagogues, their business taken, all by the very people who were their family and friends. For their part, the Romans hated, and there's that word again, hated the Christians because of a few things. See, the Greeks were a a polytheist culture, very similar to the Romans. The sports, the art, the philosophy, the democracy that then turned into republic, that then turned into uh, monarchy. All of those were very similar to Rome. A male Roman citizen could vote, could own property, could own slaves, could attend orgies. A male Roman citizen could do whatever he wanted with his children, his wife, his slaves. There was no such thing as domestic violence, no such thing as sodomy or pedophilia. Those were all part of Greek and Roman culture. They're used today as weapons against our current culture. They had running water. They had outdoor plumbing. So when these Christians came in telling them that Caesar was not emperor, God was, that their gods were dead idols, that marriage was between one man and one woman, that marriage was for life, that marriage was to be an image of the relationship between God and the church, of two equal loving partners, not master and property. Different roles, but loving and serving each other. That slaves were to be treated as equals. Christians called for an end to racism. If you go up over to Galatians chapter 3, it says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. That word all there, that's the Greek word for all. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. All equal. No division lines. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That radical morality was seen as a threat to the very existence of the empire. It's crazy, isn't it, how similar our times are now in comparison to the end of the Roman Empire? I guess it shouldn't be surprising to us if we descend into monarchy, huh? But listen to Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20 through 24. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and champions at mixing drinks, who acquit the guilty for a bribe but deny justice to the innocent. 
Therefore, as tongues of fire lick up straw, and as dry grass sinks uh, down in the flames, so the roots will decay, and their flowers blow away like dust. For they have rejected the law of the Lord Almighty, and spurned the word of the Holy One of Israel. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 32 says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, they've been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being, and birds, and animals, and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who was at forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to depraved mind, so that they do what ought not to be done. They become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these things, but approve of those who practice them. I was listening this week to, uh, to Russell Brand. You guys ever listen to him? You don't need to at all, ever. But he was talking that there, there was a Freedom of Information Act request that's been going for a few years to, uh, to the NIH, the National Institute of Health, because there's a, a policy in the government where corporations can give kickbacks to employees of the NIH and the NAID. So for three years, they've been trying to get a list of these kickbacks, of these, of these paybacks from these corporations. So they finally got it. And when they got it, there was only a count of how many the people had received. The names of the companies that gave the money were redacted. The amounts were all redacted. It was just this employee received this number of these payments from these corporations. And Russell's point was, and it is very true, that I'm sure that the reason that they redacted that information is because we would be overjoyed at how the money was spent and how that was, was given. We would be so happy that, you know, if we, if we saw that, we would be like, wow, that's amazing. They did such a right thing. That's why they're not telling us. Russell's can be kind of funny sometimes. But it's true, isn't it? They hid it for a reason. They didn't tell us for a reason. Not because we would be overjoyed. Not because we would be happy. Because they know. They know that what they did was wrong. It's just corruption. And it doesn't matter where it goes to. It's just corruption. And until the time of the Reformation, Christians were relentlessly persecuted. So let's look at today. So most of this stuff comes from uh, Open Doors. Um, I've got a couple other sources cited in here, but you can look it up for yourself. So somewhere between 11 and 14 Christians are killed each day 
this is for their faith. These are people that we know and can confirm that people are killed specifically because they are Christians. There's a lot of other numbers, and that's, that's kind of the hard part because a lot of governments don't say, oh, no, we're killing you because you're Christian. A lot of times they will say it's something else in there. But confirmed, somewhere between 11 and 14 Christians are killed each day for their faith. There are close to 3,000 Christians imprisoned right now around the world. And those are people where their captors will admit they are jailed for being Christian. About 2,000 churches are attacked globally each year. If you don't recall in the news, last week a Chinese man attacked a Taiwanese church in California. The Catholic church, they're... It's hard because we're all non-denominational. If someone were to, to come in and to attack our church, we don't have a, an overarching body that we would report to that would gather the statistics. You know, even, you know, there's just a lot of fractures. So we don't know globally how many churches are attacked in the United States because we all don't report to the same agency. And the FBI doesn't, uh, doesn't put out these statistics. But the Catholic Church records about 100 attacks on their churches, on just Catholic churches in the U.S. annually. That's just Catholic churches, just in the U.S. The David B. Barrett, who's from The Voice of the Martyrs, he did a kind of a comprehensive survey. This was back in, in between 2014 and 2018. And he estimates that around 70 million Christians have been killed around the world specifically for their beliefs in the last 2,000 years since the start of the church. 70 million. The vast majority of persecution of Christians is at the hands of Muslims and Asians. Most persecution of Christians occurs in Africa and North Korea. So I have this quote. It's a quote by uh, Shen Zinran of Bitter Winter. This is about, she's, she's Chinese. She's writing about Christianity in China. It says, the Chinese government's comprehensive religious suppression is placing believers in a difficult predicament with them losing their jobs for not abandoning their faith. And the firings of Christians from their places of employment are coming hard and fast because many refuse to abandon their beliefs as the Chinese government demands. On January 31st, 2019, Pan Fei, a Christian from Early Rain Covenant Church in Chengdu City in southwest Sichuan province, was fired by his employer, Yanggui Supermarket in Chengdu, because he continued to go to church. In September 2018, a Christian from Beijing, Zion Church, was dismissed by his company due to his religious beliefs. According to a staff member in the company, the police put pressure on the management, demanding that it fire the believer and remove his name from the company's roster, lest the company's performance get penalized for having the Christian's information on its books. According to an insider from the Beijing Municipal Public Security Bureau, this Christian had only been going to church gatherings for only nine months, making him a new believer. And yet, the local public security bureau already considered him a religious figure and made a record of his identity. Other believers from Beijing Zion Church were also subjected to similar threats. Abandon your faith or lose your job. They were forcing them to sign statements of non-belief if they wanted to keep their job and keep their position. We have had it easy here in America for a long time. We shouldn't forget the Quakers who came here fleeing persecution by their own brothers in the Church of England. The ideas of the Ten Commandments, the ideals of equality, the ideas of God-given rights are baked into the cake in our nation and have led the world to change. However, 
we are starting to see the fall of Rome. God is being called evil. Good is being called evil. Christians are being fired or silenced while others are promoted. Speaking out against sexual immorality, against idolatry, against hedonism is called hate speech. And make no mistake, our government already has a watch list of Christian organizations and their members. So we go back to John chapter 15, verse 18 through 21. It says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. People who do not have a relationship with God, who have not made a home with God, will persecute you for loving God. Not they might, they will. So now comes the hard part. See, we talked about loving God earlier. And it is easy to love God while we are safe and comfortable. It is easy to love God while we have a roof over our heads and a paycheck. So the challenge to us now, as we sit here today, is to resolve to love God even if we have none of that is to resolve in our hearts to set our courage to the sticking place that even if they take those things from us, that we will love God. Matthew chapter 10, verse 16 through 42 says, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You'll be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you'll be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. How do we be that person? How do we be the person who stands firm to the end? When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly, I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. The student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household? So do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight, and what is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care, and even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. So whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I do not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. And anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. 
Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Anyone who welcomes you welcomes me, and anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward, and whoever welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And if anyone gives a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. So we have to resolve now. Resolve now. That come what may, that we stand, that we stick. Picture your house and let it go. Picture your car and let it go. Picture your belongings and let them go. Let them go now so that if they are taken from you, it doesn't crush your faith. Let go of the comforts now, so that when you are uncomfortable, it doesn't shake your faith. And this is the hard part. Because those people who attack you, I'm saying those who attack you and persecute you for being Christians, the people who are intentionally attacking followers of Christ, this is the really heartbreaking and sad part. They are destined for hell says, if I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father. If we were to flip back in John to chapter 8, he says, I'm the judge. I am the judge. And the judge is standing here saying they are guilty sin. If we were to go over to the, the upper room when they were having dinner and Jesus says, you're already washed, you've been made clean. What amazing words to hear from Jesus, right? You're already clean. You're saved. It's done. This is the exact opposite of that. He's saying those people that persecute you, they are guilty of sin. They stand before me convicted. Their fate is sealed. I don't wish hell on anyone. Matthew 13, 50. Hell is a furnace of fire, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Mark 9, 48, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. He will be tormented with fire and brimstone. Hell is eternal and irreversible. The smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever and they have no rest day and night. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And we serve a just God, and the blood of the innocent cries out to him from the earth day and night. Ephesians 5.5 says, For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Revelation 21, 6 through 8, he says, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fire lake of burning sulfur. I can think of a few genocidal maniacs, some pedophiles, some rapists, some serial killers. I think we take comfort in knowing that we serve 
a just God. But what about our brothers and sisters? What about the ones who just love this world so much? They are so distracted by this vanity fair that they reject Christ. They've bought into the lie. They've believed the lies. And Here's the thing. No one's going to be punished unjustly. No one will stand before the throne and say they didn't know. From Cain and Abel to Noah to Job to Abraham and Lot, God is obvious and knowable. It's funny. If you get a chance, there are a bunch of books out there, but missionaries traveling to remote islands, and the people there, when they start talking, they start telling about Jesus, like, oh, yeah, we know that guy. Yeah, we call him by a different name, but we know that guy. Muslims, there's, I think, three books out right now about Muslims having visions of Christ. Anyone who genuinely seeks God with their heart will find him. And it is a relationship. You choose God, and God chooses you. But I weep, we weep for those who are perishing. They are our brothers and sisters. They're not our enemies. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 through 45 says, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Jesus prays, and we're going to read through it as we go along, but Jesus prays over and over and over again for the very people who are taking him to the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Praise it over and over and over again. It's a dawning section, isn't it? Jesus says, amongst all of his promises, expect persecution, expect trouble. Love God, love others, keep my commands. In the midst of persecution, love God, love others, keep my commands. When you are beaten and imprisoned and betrayed, love God, love others, and keep my commands. How, Lord? How? I want to proclaim your name, but I'm afraid. I want to be faithful, but I'm afraid. I want to do what you say, but I'm, I'm worried. I'm worried about my job. I'm worried about my family. Jesus answers my doubts. He says, when the advocate comes, who I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, and you also must testify. You must testify. Not if it's safe and comfortable, not when it's convenient. You must testify. The Bible says, do not be afraid 365 times, one for each day of the year. So here's our conclusion. This is our resolution. It's a preparation and a commitment. Preparation and a commitment. It's in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 17. It says, Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager, eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. 
Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Let's pray. Father, we don't know what tomorrow brings. It's entirely up to you. We have always lived such comfortable lives. Father, we are seeking to be your people, be people of God, to be people proudly proclaiming your name, unafraid. But we are afraid. I'm afraid. We need your courage. We need your strength. We need your words. We need your protection. Father, there's so many people that need you. We see our world suffering, and our hands tremble at the idea of going out and, and proclaiming you. So Lord, please just be with us. Guard our words, guard our steps, be our light. That we could somehow ease the suffering of these people. That we could somehow reach them. That they would turn to you. Lord, be with us. Lord, please be with our children as we get out of school and take those last little bits and they get to enjoy their summer and summer jobs and, and driving and all of those things. Please guard them. Guard their hearts, guard their minds, guard their bodies. Keep them safe. Lord, just fill their hearts with your love. Help that none of them are suffering in despair. Please help us to see them and give them words of encouragement and comfort, just like you give us, just like you give everyone. Lord, Father, we lift up our church to you. We lift it up to you for correction, for discipline, for growth for everything that would be on your path, that would be about your business. Strip away what we don't need. Give us what we do need. You are the Father who provides. and you, we rely. We are seeking to be a church about your business, about you, that people would hear you and see you and know you. Please equip us for that. We ask all of that in the loving name of your Son, Jesus Christ.